Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. An Erio's original. I was born with a special gift. The ability to mentally transform any situation into the worst case scenario in my own brain. My therapist calls my gift catastrophizing. And that's why I'm uniquely qualified to scrutinize and analyze history's greatest disasters and find out Who's to blame? They say history repeats itself. Not on my watch. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and I am The Alarmist. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to The Alarmist, a comedy podcast where we talk about history's greatest tragedies and figure out who's to blame. Today we're discussing... The case of the stolen ruby red slippers. Here's what you need to know. The ruby slippers. What have you done with them? Give them back to me or I'll... It's too late. There they are and there they'll stay. In 1922, Francis Ethel Gum was born in the small Minnesota town Grand Rapids. At the age of four, Frances and her family left Grand Rapids for California, where she would become Judy Garland, one of Hollywood's most memorable starlets. 
the people of Grand Rapids were proud to be part of Judy Garland's origin story, and in 1975, her childhood home was turned into a museum housing the Wizard of Oz artifacts and memorabilia. In 2005, the museum struck gold, or ruby red, when it arranged for the display of Judy Garland's infamous slippers from the movie The Wizard of Oz. In fact, this pair of heels was one of several that were used for the film. Because the actress wore the ruby red slippers during rehearsals, while dancing across props, and for sparkling close-ups, numerous pairs were required. White pumps were bought from the Innes Shoe Company in Los Angeles and painted or dyed red before the costumer hand-sewed hundreds of small sequins into a netting that was attached to the shoe. The heels were adorned with stiff cotton bows and three types of red faux gems, thin tubular bugle beads, rectangular beads, and rhinestones. 30 years after the film's debut in 1939, MGM's ownership shifted and the company decided to liquidate hundreds of props, costumes, and set pieces from decades of old Hollywood movies. For $1.5 million, the auctioneer David Weiss acquired the memorabilia and he enlisted the costumer, Kent Warner, to help him organize the warehouse for an auction in 1970. While sorting through dusty costumes in a warehouse's rafters, a glimmer of red caught Kent's eye. To his amazement, he found several pairs of the ruby red slippers. He collected all of them, giving only one pair to David Weiss for the auction, and hid away the rest. For years, only one pair was believed to exist. In 1988, a Los Angeles Times article revealed that acting coach and amateur collector Michael Shaw had bought a pair from Kent Warner for $2,500. Over the years, Michael developed a side hustle traveling to festivals and museums to showcase the slippers for a fee. He had loaned the pair to the Grand Rapids Museum several times before 2005, when the museum paid Michael $5,500 to display the slippers for two months. On Sunday, August 28, 2005, staff member Kathy Johnson opened up the museum at 10 a.m., only to find the alarm system on a strange setting she had never seen before. As she walked down the halls, turning on lights and checking the displays, she noticed the emergency exit door window was shattered. As she turned the corner, her worst fears were confirmed. The plexiglass display box was smashed, and the ruby red slippers were gone. With local police and national press in full force, the citizens of Grand Rapids were determined to catch the thief and return the slippers to owner Michael Shaw, who was horrified to hear his most prized possession had been stolen under the museum's watch. Hundreds of leads came in throughout the years, all of them dead ends. In 2015, the museum sent divers into the nearby lake based on a rumor that local miscreants had sealed the shoes in a Tupperware container before tossing them into the body of water. An anonymous $1 million reward for the safe return of the slippers was announced. It seemed nothing could bring Dorothy's ruby reds back home. In 2017, Grand Rapids investigator Brian Matson received a call from a man claiming he knew the location of the stolen slippers and he had been enlisted by an unnamed person to arrange the return of the heels to the rightful owners. Matson called a Minnesota-based FBI agent he trusted, and soon, the FBI took over the case. 
Nine months later, on July 9th, 2018, a meeting was arranged in Minneapolis between the lawyer of the party who had the stolen property and a person they believed would be paying them for the return of the slippers. In reality, nearly 100 FBI agents were involved in the meeting, with some undercover at the meeting site and others forming a perimeter around the building. By the end of the meeting, the FBI walked away with the ruby red slippers 13 years after they were stolen. Fun Facts, a.k.a. Death Stats. In 1939, The Wizard of Oz was one of the most expensive movies ever made. Advertisements that year claimed the movie had used 9,200 actors, 30 sound stages on the MGM lot, and 65 sets. MGM spent $3 million on creating the fictional world of Oz. In L. Frank Baum's original book, The Magic Slippers Are Silver. MGM changed them to the color ruby red to highlight their color cinematography. There are at least seven pairs of original ruby slippers that were used for the film, and maybe as many as ten. Each pair is slightly different, as some were used for close-up shots, others were designed for the dance numbers and wide shots, and others were used for Judy Garland's stand-in. The slippers are difficult to replicate because the sequins were made with a gelatin center and lead cellulose nitrate coating, while sequins today are mostly made of glass or plastic. The sequins got their burgundy hue from a dye called rhodamine B. With us today, we have producer Clayton Early. Hello. Fact checker Chris Smith. Hi. And our very special guest today is actor, comedian, Daryl Jim. Hi, Daryl Jim. Hello. And I, I just want to tell everyone they can follow you on Instagram at Hey Daryl Jim. So pretty straightforward. Um. Sign up. <laughs> Do you guys have Instagram? Clayton and yeah, I've Adieu. already yes. followed. I, I already followed him. Cool. So we're good to go here. Um, <laughs> now, Daryl Jim, we like to start off the show by asking our guests. What is something that's recently alarming you? What is something that's keeping you up at night? Wow. Um, well, my car's shifter cable or trans... <laughs> no. Uh, what is it called? Well, the transmission? cable. <laughs> transmission linkage? Okay. Transmission linkage. I think it's I'm called always... transmission linkage. <laughs> yeah. It's broken. <laughs> and so I haven't had a car for the past four days. And I've been mm. riding my bike around Glendale, California. And it's Ooh. a wild. <laughs> now, During a heat is, wave, is, too. Well, oh, yeah. my yeah. goodness. Can I, I I'm I'm alarmed now as well. <laughs> because I think bike riding is so scary. And I get mm. so Afraid for all of my friends who bike ride <laughs> um, in the streets of L.A. and Glendale, too, just because Glendale driver, is wild. Yeah. Her drivers, question is, do you wear a helmet and knee pads? Th yes. <laughs> that is my question. You know what? I do the helmets. I should get knee pads. I just never know where to put them when I'm not riding the bike and walking sure. into a store or something. You should keep um, them on 24-7. I mean, my <laughs> ultimate, ultimate protection, you never know where you're going to fall down. You know, and I try holding my helmet like, you know how 
motorcyclist hold their yeah. helmet. Mm-hmm. It's not the same with a bike helmet. You don't no. know. That's a great point. You so should just, just get a motorcycle of... helmet and wear that on your bike. <laughs> that would be really funny. I really want to look like a Power Ranger all the time. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it might like for the embarrassment. It would you would feel riding around on a bike with a motorcycle helmet. I think it would be compensated by how cool you would look holding the whole whole whole, whole right yeah. away from the bike. Everyone thinks you're just a cool biker, dude. Exactly. Right. And then you could, you know, have a signature look and everyone in Glendale would just know, oh, that's Daryl Jim coming to the right. store yeah. again. <laughs> there he goes. <laughs> He's never there had a concussion. Is. He's literally never had a concussion. <laughs> oh Him my and his God. knee pads. <laughs> <laughs> you could uh, definitely be the spokesperson for the alarmist if you were that, you know, oh, uniform. Yeah. That, so. that level. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Mm-hmm. Keep it up too, and that and that helmet could become famous, and maybe someday would want to. Then I'll be movie. Not, exactly. Maybe would someone to buy your your helmet yeah. because it's a famous relic of history. Oh my God! What a wonderful transition that is. Into- <laughs> trying to help you out. Trying to help you out. There's no place like home. Into this topic, uh, would uh, I mean it's a wild wild story mm-hmm. with so many twists and turns and so many people involved. Um, where do we start? I, I guess let's start by, you know, talking a little bit about the slippers, you know, mm-hmm. I, 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 in reading that now there's a Washington Post article, which is wonderful by Elizabeth Evitz Dickinson, which we'll quote a lot during uh, this episode. And uh, this is from uh, the article. Initial versions of the uh, script. So this is talking about the um, the movie, The Wizard of Oz. Initial versions of the script kept Dorothy's slippers the color they had been in Bombs, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, the book. Silver. In the spring of 1938, on page 26, scene 113, you can see where someone scratched out silver and wrote ruby. The shoes, the script read, appear on Dorothy's feet, glittering and sparkling in the sun. This was done uh, because they felt that uh, the, the, the shoes, which were originally silver in the book, um, would be a waste with this new technical color technology mm-hmm. that they had planned for, for the film. And so they changed it to red shoes so that it would, they would pop on the yellow brick road. Wow. Which they did. They I mean, did. Iconic, right? Another thing I was reading was that it makes you wonder. Sorry, just yeah, to, no. It makes you wonder, like, what if my clothes would look better if I painted walls <laughs> or painted floors a certain, like, you know what I mean? Like, you should also <laughs> consider the context of where you're wearing the clothes. If you're going to be on a yellow brick road, don't just wear some ratty ass yellow shoes. Mm-hmm. Right, kind of like McDonald's. <laughs> That's McDonald's it is. is a red and yellow. That's right. True, those golden arches. And I, I believe, and I am the fact checker, so I'm going to have to ask myself about this, but I believe they're on opposite sides of the color wheel, actually. I am fact-checking just my own mind. I actually think red and green are on the opposite sides. <laughs> I think yellow and purple are opposites. I believe so. Yeah. Yellow and purple. Would it have been a different movie if they were like the purple brick road? Purple brick road. Well, the <laughs> you know. <laughs> I think it would be the purple ruby slippers. The ruby sure, purple slippers. But I'm just mixing it up totally. We got oh. purple road. We got the, we got ru- the yellow slippers. Are, yeah, they're like green, slippers, forest yeah. green. You know, like. Well, they, you know, the slippers were actually um, like more of a maroon burgundy color. Right. Because I guess the way Technicolor worked 
was that uh, they had the, like all the clothes was actually a little darker than it looks in mm. the movie, which I thought was a cool fact. Did you guys notice in the beginning of that in the beginning of that movie it was black and white, but then in the middle it was actually color? Did you guys mm. notice that? Feels like it might be a metaphor for something. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> I mean, you have to th- uh, even as like a child who grew up with color television. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it still gets me every time when she mm. leaves the house after the house has landed in, from the tornado storm and she opens that door and you peer out like it's truly so effective and like really magical in a way that like i think is still endearing to this to modern day kids watching movies there's something about it that's like what maybe i'm alone maybe i'm alone <laughs> <laughs> i feel that way and i stand by it i mean i don't like anything before 1990 av- avatar is pretty fucking cool too i know yeah exactly <laughs> but you do you clayton no, I love The Wizard of Oz. Actually, it was the first book I was able to read mm. in Spanish, and I memorized it. We'll cut this out. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> wow, that was a fascinating tidbit. Why would you cut that out? I don't know. No. It seemed uh, uh, like a tangent, but... We don't usually get this far off track so quickly, no, exactly. Darren, I just want you to know whatever energy you're bringing... Is either working or really not working. Um, either way, we're having fun. So uh, I'll try and get us back on. Another interesting thing I learned about the shoes was that uh, on the movie set, uh, multiples of the same costume were made for continuity. And since Garland was wearing through her size five sequined shoes while dancing across a wood painted prop resembling a yellow brick road. Numerous pairs were required, and pairs were also made for Garland's body double. Today, we know the whereabouts of five of the the pairs of shoes. One pair has been on near-constant display at the Smithsonian National Museum of American History since the men who bought them at the MGM auction donated them in 1979. Two California collectors bought the Roberta Bauman pair in 2000 for $666 thousand dollars at a christie's auction pricey the shoes haven't been seen since and were reportedly locked in a bank safe so i don't know why you would buy something to put in a bank safe but okay debbie reynolds came to to own the arabian test slippers an ornate design that never made it on on the screen and those last auctioned in 2011 for 627 uh, and $300,000. Hmm. Kent Warner's pair are known as the witch's shoes because it is believed that they were used for the close-up shots of the Wicked Witch of the East's feet after she was crushed by Dorothy's house. Uh, and those were sold in 2012 to a group of Hollywood investors, including Leonardo DiCaprio, and they will go on display this year uh, uh, or this was in when, whenever this was published, I think in 2019, uh, at the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences Museum in LA. And then there are the shoes that would eventually be stolen from okay. Grand Rapids. So there's five pairs that we know about. Mm. They believe there's seven somewhere. But the ones that we're discussing today, perhaps we should start by putting the Judy Garland Museum. Up on the board. Okay. Uh, Again, this is from the Washington Post article. Michael Shaw alleges that the museum lied to him. Michael Shaw is the owner of the The shoes shoes in question. Mm -hmm. 
I thought they had recording cameras and motion sensors and the police were coming by, Shaw says today. They had none of it. I never would have left the shoes if I knew there was such a lack of security. John Kelsch, senior director of the museum, denies the museum misled Shaw. Most of the police scrutiny focused on the emergency door. It was alarmed, but somehow the alarm system had not sent a dispatch to 911 when it was breached. We had been having a lot of problems with kids opening emergency exit doors and alarms going off and police coming, Kelsch says. So we de-armed the doors during the day. We mistakenly believed that when we armed the building at night that the contacts would all be armed again, mm. but this was not the case. So the bells and whistles were going off at the museum when the door was breached, but the signal was not sent. Mm. I know. At the time, a single closed circuit TV camera had been placed on a bookshelf and trained on the slippers. All of this is <laughs> is <laughs> very roughshod. Mm-hmm. But it's, keep going. Okay, it's like if my mom ran a museum. Right. Okay, <laughs> or security okay. system. Yes, <laughs> was in charge of security at a museum. She also ran. Okay, so there's a uh, <laughs> security. Some security shirts could should come in quotes. Let's be honest. Yes. We've seen. Sec- <laughs> We've seen security be like, we talked about this during, uh, we did an episode, Daryl Jim, about Woodstock 99. I don't know. Mm. Did you go to that uh, concert? (laughs) I did not. (laughs) Good for you. The the security (laughs) basically just stood there and there was basically a way to just go get into the concerts, basically. Right. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, that's not to say all security people are bad. I'm no, just clearly. There's too much to secure. <laughs> no, we, we, we take good security for granted, clearly. Yeah. Um, a single closed-circuit TV camera had been placed on a bookshelf, trained to the slippers. It, fe- it fed into a small monitor, monitor at the front desk where the staff could keep an eye on things during the day. But after hours, the camera was turned off. It also didn't record, so there was no opportunity to scrutinize visitor, visitors from the weeks leading up to the theft. A motion detector above the emergency exit door also failed to go off that night. There were no motion motion detectors in the gallery with the slippers. And insurance investigators later determined that it had a blind spot. A person could break into the emergency door, which opened to the side, and carefully slide along the wall leading to the interior gallery door without engaging the alarm. Hmm. So... A lot of things went wrong. I mean, we could the the it was definitely security definitely feels like it was an afterthought for this museum. There I, I would ass- guess, and this is a total guess and an assumption, that the owners of this museum are don't think like the alarmy. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's crazy too, it's two thousand five. It's not like this is like an no. It happened so <laughs> recently. And there's there was a lot of, like the iPhone was coming out like a couple of years later, right? Like didn't the iPhone come out in like two thousand six or something? Or something? Or like we like like the fact that there's just like a camera and they're not recording and there's like a, it just feels like I don't know. Maybe they didn't think they would be as desirable as they turned out to be. So they didn't put as much energy and effort into the security. No. We're trying to, well, I mean, what do you want to put up on the board here? Uh, well, I'm, I want to put the museum up, obviously. Yes, the for museum, sure. Uh, 2007, the iPhone came out, by the way. Owners 
whoever made that de- uh, decision. Also, maybe the kids who were up to no good going into the, trying to sneak into the museum, setting off the alarm so that the museum then forgot <laughs> to put the alarm or the, yeah, right. Yeah. But how many times have you done that though? Where you, it, you're like, I know this happens with my, uh, my ring camera where the cars will go by and it'll set off the alarm, yes. you know, the, the camera, and then you'll get an alert on your phone being like you, there's someone at your front door. And then you look and wow. there's I, no one there. This is an incredible, incredible hypothetical question. How alarming are <laughs> alarms? Like that's. I'm just saying. Mm. Like sometimes there's too many false alarms are are bad. Right. Bo- that's like the boy style. who cried wolf kind of. Oh, we just there we go. What? Didn't you just say boy who cried wolf, Chris? Yeah. Mm. I beat or, you by like a half a second. <laughs> he did. I was. Yeah. <laughs> you did. So. What is that? It, it, it's like a lack of alarmism, too, right? Yeah. A general lack of alarmism. General lack of alarmism. Because whatever made them turn off that alarm, you, you're not thinking like an alarmist. Do you set an alarm to wake up in the morning, Daryl Jim? <laughs> yes. Three. <laughs> three? Do you set three alarms? Yep. Wow. Two. The second one is the one I like. I'm like, okay, time to wake up. But the third is to make sure I'm in the bathroom getting ready for the day. <laughs> so you so you in a sense have a lack of alarmism as well. You don't take the one alarm seriously enough. You need two more buffer alarms. Sounds like I don't you trust th- myself. You don't trust yourself. So maybe the museum Right, how would you set up the museum? Seems like seems like you have trust. a good system. So what would you have done differently? I think they were too lax about it to be honest. I yeah. think they got it. They were like Okay, cool. Maybe they didn't care enough. Maybe they didn't think it was someone would want to s- steal these mm. slippers, or they they didn't think it would happen to them. They undervalued. Yeah, there's we talk about there. this too. Like the the lax uh, like safety protocol, oftentimes is like underestimated. So maybe there's room for that on the board. A hundred percent. How many times during an airplane, when the you know the flight right. attendants get up and start making you know showing you where the exits are, that you don't listen? You're already listening to your iPhone, which came out in two thousand and seven. Mm. <laughs> um, you can't. I was just on a plane and uh, I made sure. I, I my instinct is always to ignore because you don't need to watch that, but you got to watch the safety video. It's the do most we, important part of your flight. It's true. Do I? What do only, we call, no, go ahead. Do we? The only time I listen is when I sit in the um, emergency exit seat. Yes, that's yes. where I'm just like laser focused. But yeah, I don't. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of pressure when they ask you to <laughs> verbal. When I, when I better know how to open that door. <laughs> when they ask you for a verbal yes. Like you're able to help, or you know how they always do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's always a lot. I always of feel like I'm like about to like. I'm like, <laughs> yes, sir. I am in charge. I will save everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm grateful for you. If I'm sitting behind you, I'm like that guy's got it. I trust him. <laughs> Dell Jim, he's like, I want a badge. I want a gun. I'm ready. Like, let's go. You know what? If I ran an airline, I would have the flight attendants go as they walk down the aisle. Um, before the plane goes off, say, are you paying uh, attention? Just like individually ask people if they're paying attention, if they're willing <laughs> to, um, you know, uh, follow the emergency protocols. 
And mm. I feel like if they were asked individually, we're like, yeah, I will follow. Would they, you do like a little quiz? Like a little, like, you know, like teachers do that to their students. They're like, pop quiz. Like, what was this? Like, yeah. And you where, call where's seats. And you're yeah. like, where's the oxygen come from, hotshot? 20, uh, 29E. Can you please stand up? <laughs> <laughs> and if they get it wrong, if they get it wrong, they have to get off Exit the plane. Exit the plane. That's right. <laughs> wow. The ultimate failure. You lose. <laughs> Um, I also want to put up on the board some local dirt bags, question mark. Mm, sure. <laughs> this is according to the Washington Post article. The rumor that the ruby slippers had been thrown into the water began almost as soon as they were stolen. Word on the street was that some local dirt bags did it, said Shar, and the names <laughs> <laughs> and the names being floated by Bennett were well-known troublemakers. The police kept an eye on them, knowing this that this crew always ratted each other out eventually, Shar says. The other prevailing theory after the theft was that misguided teenagers had seen an opportunity and snatched the slippers, never anticipating the attention it would attract. Fear of being cornered with a glittering contraband had, according to this version, caused them to panic and get rid of the evidence. Some kids whispered that the slippers were already gone, burned in a in a bonfire at a legendary party in the months after the burglary. Others claimed they had been sealed inside an empty paint can or in a Tupperware contained uh, container, weighted down with rocks and then dropped into the Mississippi River. Mm-hmm. Right. I love that. I'd love to know about this legendary party that they were <laughs> allegedly burned. <laughs> it's like some kids like, oh, we had this crazy party. I remember those shoes. <laughs> Sounds like, like, you know, like a couple of just like bros who just had a legendary party in the woods and accidentally burned. Yeah. You remember history. that stupid movie our parents used to make us watch yeah. every Christmas? Yeah. The black and white one, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that party though legendary you the shoes let's burn them um it must have been awesome being a, a teenager at that time in grand rapids um so many like so many uh like like mystery Oppor- and <laughs> you know <laughs> gossip and wait in the early like a great opportunity. slippers wait yeah. in the early aughts you're saying you, yeah in like 2005 when they were <laughs> stolen like you know they could have been like i could totally see myself sitting around a campfire with my friends being like okay guys like i feel like we're gonna take this mystery into our own hands and we're gonna find those slippers and we're like (laughs) i mean uh, sometimes i wonder if i would have hung out with you (laughs) that's assuming these kids had even knew what the wizard of oz was that's what i'm also thinking too maybe they didn't they didn't know the severity yeah. of these slippers, that's these right. shoes. Yeah, I think so, that's a big. That's a big part of it. How do you want to? How do we encapsulate that? Because I wonder. Look, did the museum know the value of the slippers? Maybe not. Maybe they didn't. They did. It's the Judy Garland Museum. It's a, right. Well, a, but know. what we just said, they were lax with their security. Well, so what I'm saying is, did did anybody really appreciate the value of these slippers? Or maybe they just thought. Maybe the museum thought, like, you know, Judy Garland is from Grand Rapids. She's uh, an icon in this area. Right. This Why is a would safe anyone space. take this? There from is no our safe icon. spaces, people. There are there's no <laughs> such thing as a truly 
Safe you can't space? Trust, is that what you're going to say? I don't know no what such I was thing as a say. safe space. What was Daryl, Jim? You were about you were saying something pretty actually interesting, and I, I sort of got swept uh, up in this. It had to do with they didn't them, the teenagers didn't know the value of the of the slippers. I'd like to put Grand Rapids on the board. Wow, the, city. the city of Grand Rapids. Love it. Tell us how why. big is it? Is it very big? I think it is. I think it, no, I think it's small. <laughs> Let's look at the We're fact gonna checkers. Gonna look it up. Small, then everyone knows each other. Mm-hmm. It sounds like every. It sounds like everyone knows each other in this town. It's like teenage dirtbags, like they're yeah. But well, there's a Grand Rapids, Michigan. Educate. That's much bigger. Oh, that's what I'm thinking of. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't listen to me. Because they didn't educate the kids enough to know how important these slippers were. If they did take it and burned it at the legendary party. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Well, guys, the population is eleven thousand people. Eleven thousand one hundred twenty-six. Very small, yeah. Oh. It's only twenty-five square miles, roughly. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should put on. Um, maybe, or maybe because it's just going to be encapsulated under Gerald Jim's suggestion of Grand Rapids, is that they didn't teach their youth enough about the the beauty and the reverence of the Wizard of Oz and these legendary So this slippers. is a school this is a school board issue. Yeah. This is uh, not <laughs> yes. yeah, not really uh, knowing your the history of your area. Yeah. Right? Well, Grand Rapids is up there. What about um the the false the false safety of small towns? I the, love that. Okay. The, the, or false the sense of security, false sense of security in mm-hmm. small town America. <laughs> okay, oh boy, that'll be really hard to put on our <laughs> Instagram page when we put the episode up. <laughs> um, let's also put Michael Shaw up on the board. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. tell me. Wow, okay, tell us more. So, this is from the article as well. The traveling shoes first came to the Judy Garland Museum in 1989 for the fifth. 50th anniversary of the movie. They were put on a wooden pedestal topped by a plexiglass case and placed behind a simple silk rope barrier. The museum brought the shoes back over the years, and in 2005, it paid Shaw a discounted rate of about 5500 to display it for two months, flying him in to deliver the slippers in person. Shaw first stopped in Minneapolis and did an interview and an event at a library with the shoes, thus alerting many in the state that the slippers would be in Grand Rapids. Kelsch, who was the museum director, reached out to a bank to procure an on-site safe so that the shoes could be locked up each night, but Shaw balked at the idea. Mm. He didn't want staff handling the slippers because of their age and fragility. When Roberta Bauman's pair went on display at the Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando in 1989, so another pair of slippers, the shoes warranted a security guard and several cameras. The Smithsonian's ruby slippers are inside a guarded museum in a gallery with cameras and behind an alarmed case, among other security measures that the museum won't disclose. Mm-hmm. So this is a different, there's a difference in security here. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, the Smithsonian, right? Uh-huh. Um, and uh, uh, just as a reminder, Michael Shaw is the owner of the pair of shoes, mm-hmm. so the, right. the owner himself, who acquired the shoes um, in in the seventies or when they were. Uh, sorry, in the sixties when they were found. Right. Um. Kind of made a nice little business for himself too. 
He did that. He was a he had a traveling show where he had other Wizard of Oz uh, memorabilia and other Hollywood memorabilia. These days to make that kind of like these these days to make that kind of money, you have to sell pictures of your feet on the internet. Oh, I Mm. come on. (laughs) I'm not saying I do that. How do you know the going rate? I'm just saying it's nice feet, though. They have to be nice feet because mine's make no money. Well, now the listeners know. Sign up for Daryl Jim's feet <laughs> feet account. It's heydarylgym.com slash feet. feet. Nice. You better buy that website. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it kind of sounds like from the get-go, if Michael Shaw was relaxed about it, it kind of mm. just snowballed into more relaxation of these shoes mm-hmm. more relaxation <laughs> it was a relaxed fit shoe. Um, here it goes Whatever, on yeah. it goes so it goes on <laughs> it, in 2007 the insurance company finally paid shaw eight hundred thousand dollars for the shoes the same year it offered a two hundred thousand dollar reward for information about the theft but nothing came of it the large payout to shaw raised another theory he must have planned the theft as an elaborate insurance fraud sure Shaw had required the museum to carry a policy for the shoes as a part of the rental agreement, so he wasn't even out the premium. Why else would he refuse to let the staff put the shoes in the safe at night? Shaw vehemently denied the accusation. The most hurtful thing over the years was having someone try to implicate me in this robbery, Shaw says. That hurt me more than anything else. The insurance company investigated me 10 times till Sunday before paying out the policy. So he denied... Uh, having been part of some kind of conspiracy. And, you know, we'll discuss later on whether we we think there's enough evidence there or culpability, but he definitely has been targeted. Sure. It's definitely, it's an easy theory to, like, it's not like, I mean, when it comes to insurance, like their whole fraud insurance, they go hand in hand, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but who's to say if it's um if that's true or if that's the insurance industry just trying to plant some bad um zhuzh on him just so they don't have to pay him out. <laughs> There's my conspiracy theory. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. So he's up on the board. Got him. I also want to put up the Rockwell Burglars. In 1978, a small family-run gallery in a suburb outside Minneapolis hosted a private exhibition of Norman Rockwell paintings. Enhancing the show was a painting by Pierre-Auguste Renoir, on loan from a Minneapolis man who had recently bought the piece from a dealer in Miami. Four Minnesota-based thieves, three of whom had mob ties, had targeted the gallery that night. They weren't after the Rockwells. They needed the Renoir. The painting was a fake, part of a well-oiled scam run by a ring of mobsters in Miami who were alarmed when the man they'd sold it to decided to include the painting in a gallery show. If people learned the Renoir wasn't real, the art scam might be exposed. Bruce Rubenstein, 
a crime reporter in the Twin Cities, says it wouldn't surprise him to learn that one or more were connected to the slippers theft that occurred 27 years later. The easy conclusion to draw, at least to me, he says, is that the people who stole those ruby slippers stole them for the mob, and that scares people. There was another connection between the Rockwell heist and the ruby slippers case. According to a source close to the investigation, Joe Friedberg was the lawyer who negotiated both the return of the Rockwell paintings and the return of the slippers. So, Chris, you watch The Sopranos a lot. Yes. Is it common, you know, there's always a lawyer involved. I I don't know. (laughs) Totally. Always. There's always a lawyer involved, right? Well, lawyers are notoriously... um, no, lawyers are notoriously connected uh, to the mob. No. Yeah. No. Connected <laughs> to um, crim- criminals because criminals need lawyers. Okay. Because they need to know the legal system, mm-hmm. how it works. Mm-hmm. So they're untrustworthy lawyers. No. <laughs> Not all of them, but most of them. I mean, but go ahead. Ev- everyone's entitled to legal defense. That doesn't mean that That's they right. didn't do anything wrong, but they're entitled to an attorney. So. I think this is this is just another theory based on the fact that the lawyers were the same. So is there a mob connection here? We don't know. That's for sure. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, so is there anything else we feel like we want to put up on this board? Do we want to put Grand Rapids, Michigan up on the board? The why? other city? <laughs> Yeah, tell me why. I'm I'm open to your they didn't care at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Daryl Jim, I mean, where the hell are they in all this? Right. Yeah. How far is I'm Grand Rap- Rapids, Minnesota from Grand Rapids, Michigan? Yeah, like, can you how find long out? is that drive? How long is the- <laughs> Google Maps? Because one Grand Rapids should drive. really support the other Grand Rapids, right? <laughs> Let's see how long that's right. It takes to get from Grand Rapids. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I support ev- and uh, all other Rebecca's. If you're right. a Rebecca. <laughs> well, I mean, it I depends at least support on my, you until they do something wrong. And then you have to be like, your name's Rebecca. You have to live up to this name. How could you do that? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know? I hold them by the shoulders and I shake them. <laughs> you say you're a Rebecca. <laughs> we Rebecca's must stick together. <laughs> it's only an 11 hour drive. Oh, okay. That's a day. It's a long day, but get so, over there. <laughs> so what are we? Um, what else are we putting up? Wh- on the why board? are we putting up Grand Rapids, Michigan again? Uh, you know, I like to have a wild card on the board every once in a while, just okay. in case we slip up, make a mistake, and then somebody gets falsely accused. Mm. Then they can late years later get exonerated. And then, you know, that's a very powerful kind of, you can make a video out of that. And it's very moving. Mm. <laughs> it's also good to have backup plans, right? And Grand, mm-hmm. Grand Rapids is a good... The bigger one is a good backup plan mm-hmm. in case we have no other leads. We have to keep I, the work going. The shoe should have. Well, Daryl, Jim, and I kind of see are on the same page. I, here. I don't like I this like you guys, combo. Oh. This duo is very dangerous. <laughs> we feel pretty good about it. That's what, so. I've never seen two people support each other. <laughs> I mean, if we're throwing Grand Rapids, Michigan, we might as well just throw the Wizard of Oz for its crazy success as a film and oh. i was thinking about that for sure it was like they made it too good <laughs> this all wouldn't have happened too good. if if it wasn't amazing right sure the mm. success 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the runaway success mm-hmm. of The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, and maybe why don't we put Judy Garland up there while we're at it for, for she's being been through enough. An icon. She's, no, she's okay. been through enough. <laughs> I love Judy Garland. I know. <laughs> oh. Um, so anything else? I think the fashion. What about the fashion industry? Oh, an old foe back again. Old heads, old alarming. Why are we so obsessed with shoes? Rebecca wants fashion. to put the fashion industry into jail. Yeah, and you know these these were fifteen dollars shoes. It's not like they were expensive shoes. It it's was, crazy it's people. Well, that's the point, though. It's like these. The, the uh, value, the meaning that gets attached to these things that are so iconic or, you know, famous, like people really like, uh, I mean, all of that stuff is all just like art, you know, it's like, how are we deciding that this piece of art is worth so many hundreds of millions of dollars? You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, I'm not the person to talk about this, but <laughs> <laughs> Yes, there's skill involved. It's history, like you know, but like the numbers are just constant. It's just going up with as things get more and more expensive. Mm-hmm. It's just like suddenly this thing it broke another record, and before long it'll be a hundred million trillion dillions. Like it's not even like we don't even know the numbers that art will be valued at because it's right. only 2022. And that's and why I save everything I own. Yes, <laughs> just in case. Smart. Just in case. Just in case. I like that. Just in case you're uh, someone, he becomes a famous artist. Yeah, but but oh, so you can sell it for yourself, or he, or leave it as whoever, inheritance. Whoever. I mean, you just talked about how these shoes were fifteen dollars. I've got shoes, maybe more than that. Sure, so yeah, if you I do. Get famous, <laughs> yes, and I can sell it for maybe two hundred thousand dollars. Yes, that's right. I love how he maybe has shoes more than fifteen dollars. Yeah, well, I like to get. I like. I, well, I do, but I my shoes are. I mean, my feet are small, and so I go to the kids section to get their cheap shoes. And let nice. me tell you, same. It looks like I pay a lot because it's the same design as the nicer adult oh, versions. Shit. But I'm still. Is it cheaper for kids? Yes, I do I the same thing. Shopping. I do the same thing, Daryl Jim. Uh, because Judy Garland and I have the same uh, size foot. <gasps> wow. wow, you could have been her stand-in. <laughs> <laughs> We're putting you on the board. <laughs> Rebecca goes up on the board. Okay, okay, this is enough, you guys. Let's take a quick break, and we're going to start knocking things off the board. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have stress and anxiety we carry around as we go about our everyday life. At The Alarmist, we know it's always better to say it out loud and talk it through. Whenever I stress about the sinking of the Titanic, I don't sit with those thoughts in a dark room. I turn on the lights and dive right into it. Therapy is a great place to get things off your chest and work through what's really going on. Maybe you can't stop spiraling or catastrophizing. I started therapy over 10 years ago and never looked back. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Heck, we sometimes change our minds and rethink the verdict at The Alarmist. And that's also okay when it comes to therapists. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Alarmist today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot Alarmist. And we're back. Who is to blame for these stolen ruby red slippers? Is it the Judy Garland Museum? Kids breaking into the museum? Laissez-faire safety measures? Local dirt bags? Grand Rapids, Minnesota? False sense of security in small town USA? Michael Shaw? The Rockwell Burglars? Grand Rapids, Michigan? <laughs> the runaway success of The Wizard of Oz? Or the big fashion industry? Mm-hmm. Okay. I think we should start off by taking... Michael Shaw. Michael Shaw off of the list because there's just not enough evidence. I mean, there's and the, the guy's been through enough. But maybe he did it, but I love that right. you're taking him off first before like the success <laughs> of this movie or Grand Rapids. <laughs> Grand Rapids <laughs> <laughs> That's where we went first. Is Michael Anybody Shaw couldn't possibly Gra- any alarming member who lives in Grand Rapids, <laughs> Michigan is so pissed off right now. <laughs> like, why are you coming from my town right now? <laughs> City, city, not town. City. Um, okay, so let's take Michael Shaw, and I guess let's take Grand Rapids, Michigan, Michigan. off okay. of the list as well, because I don't want to insult or get any of our uh, Grand Rapids alarmy uh, upset. Right. Um, now, I also think we can take the runaway success of the Wizard of Oz. It's it, you know, when you're a filmmaker, you're just trying to do your best and yeah. you can't help if it's it's good, you know? You can't think if one of the props, about one of the props years later gets involved in some kind of scheme. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can't think mm-hmm. about that. No. This is like, uh, you know, we're talking, I can, I'm so bad at math, but we're talking like 70 years later. <laughs> 70,000, I think, is actually how long it really was. Mm-hmm. What about... <laughs> This episode's a little punchier than most. But. <laughs> All right. I think we can take the Rockwell burglars off the list, too. I, I'm not really seeing. I, I feel like that link of the lawyer between uh, that the heist and the 
the, the painting heist and this, I just don't think it's enough to build yeah, a solid case their, around. They're played already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. They're busy with a painting. The, how could they be doing? And I also think we got to take off the local, <laughs> local dirt bags. They didn't do anything wrong. They're just getting high and hanging out in front of seven 11. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a like small we, town. We just don't They've, know. Yeah, and that's just speculative. Yeah. You, know? you know, like there's no solid proof. So you, they, they are innocent until proven guilty. guilty. Exactly. In the court of the alarmist. Can we take the town of Grand Rapids off? Because I, I, I think that a false sense of security in small town USA is more to blame than the mm. actual town. Mm. Right? So mm-hmm. we'll just we fold, we'll fold Grand Rapids into that false sense yes, of security. Yes, that sounds right. Because they might be victims here. That yeah. it could have been an outsider job, and they're they're the ones who are. Uh, they're just to, hosting. They're hosting it's exactly, just hosting. and it's their police force that's having to figure out the crime. It, you know, it's creating a lot of work and problem for the city. Truth. So off the list. You mm. never want to have a scandal at a party. You know, at your party. So. <laughs> That's true. But you want to be at a party that has a scandal. With a scandal. That's so true. That's <laughs> yeah. a Catch 22. Uh, no, the fashion industry. We'll keep them in. Uh, the kids breaking into the museum. That's what caused the laissez-faire safety measures in mm-hmm. the museum. So mm-hmm. I think there is a little bit to blame. You know, kids, you can't. Th- th- that running around and, and, and causing mm-hmm. a ruckus. Mm-hmm. Go on. It, it, it has some consequence. <laughs> yeah. It does. <laughs> the running yeah. around and causing a ruckus, it has some consequence. <laughs> it does. So just think about that. It kid, does. Kids. Well, when you're a kid, you're just like, oh, we're just having fun. But I mean, <laughs> think about the adults for once. Rebecca's point mainly in The Alarmist every episode is if you're a kid, stop having fun. No, <laughs> I don't say that. Paint. You can paint. You can. You, there's so much... There's so much to do. Stop that's having fun and paint. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, email us. I have. I'll. I'll send you a list of fun ideas that I think are. are I would not say dangerous. it's like gotcha. Have have fun, but make sure it's safe fun and listen to the adults. But sometimes question the adults because maybe they're Always. wrong. Yeah. Exactly. Question everything. Question everything. <laughs> but follow rules. A lot of rules for these young kids. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so we're left with the Judy Garland Museum, kids breaking into the museum, the laissez-faire safety measures, the false sense of security in small town USA. We can fold that into the safety measures, actually, Okay, I feel. And the fashion industry for... for Making being, such amazing shoes? <laughs> our obsession with the fashion industry is like, we gotta have it. I know. Gotta have the fashion. I just don't think, I just don't think it fits in this case. I don't think so either. Because these yeah. are more collectibles than they are fashion. That's true so true we'll take that off so what are we going to do here we've got three things to blame i think this is an open and shut case what do you think i think the judy garland museum is to blame i think so too yeah but who gets the big slap the kids or the safety measures that's what i'm thinking about (laughs) i mean (laughs) this is that's tough because they come hand in hand it's chicken and egg right yeah like the safety my favorite quote from the article was like how a camera was propped up on some books or something. Yeah. Like, right. I got to no go film. with safety measures in yeah. that case. <laughs> but that's, I mean, that, that ties into the museum. Right. 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 But the safety measures too are. Right. If they had better safety measures, their kids wouldn't be able to break in in the first place. 
right? No, I yeah. mean they they had the safety they had some <laughs> safety measures Jesus. that they took off because the kids were breaking into the museum and they were kind of like being right. Annoying. But that's not what you do. You get more safety measures if kids are continuing to break in. You're like, well, we're not doing enough. We should get more. Not well, fine. Let just let them in and just stop doing those three things that we were doing. <laughs> I right? think, yeah, the safety measures probably the slap, right? And if like the I kids so. are behind it, it's like a mini double slap. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm, yeah, but okay, uh, fine. But I just want to give a warning out there to kids. Yeah, especially kids who are currently running around. <laughs> <laughs> Stop causing, you know, stop causing a ruckus. Yeah. Stop. Have fun, but make sure it's not. Ru- uh, you know ruckus. ruckus yes if you see ruckus go if you run run away from the ruckus yes and don't run and make a ruckus run and stop and a ruckus and paint while you're running away yes, from yes. <laughs> if you want to have fun if you if actually want to have yeah. fun if you want to have fun otherwise running is just working out and who wants mm-hmm. to just do that exactly paint okay i'm gonna run. call it i'm gonna call it laissez-faire safety measures you're getting the big slap the judy garland museum you're going to the alarmist jail. Well, <laughs> that's that's going to be an interesting thing in the alarmist jail. I wonder mm-hmm. how it will do with some of the other uh, things and, and, and people. And ideas, at, sure. At, in the mm-hmm. jail. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's good because I feel like some of the um, people in concept in the jail would do well with some like culture from a museum. I'm sure there's good <laughs> things for that they can learn from and you know mm-hmm. it'll be about this, judy it's, it's, this is a rehabilitative jail, jail system that's right that's, that's right. right so this is good we're bringing that's art right. yeah i'm trying to think of some of uh the really you know like christopher columbus in w- at the judy garland museum mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. other people who are in our alarmist jail visiting mm-hmm. the museum racism is in our alarmist jail multiple times capitalism capitalism taking a stroll mm-hmm. down the judy garland museum, museum. I think it's nice that to have a museum in a jail, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's just something to do it's, if you get tired of, like, um, other things. <laughs> Gosh. I totally agree. Yeah. I think it's awesome. I mm-hmm. think we did a service today. Yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, Daryl, Jim, we couldn't have done this without you. Thanks for helping us get to the bottom of the stolen ruby red slipper case. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. If you ever need more, <laughs> I'll be here. With my motorcycle helmet. Nice. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yes. And awesome. your shoes. We'll add that to the soon, And your, and your soon to be very expensive shoes. <laughs> yes. After the FBI obtained the recovered slippers, they were analyzed by an expert at the Smithsonian Institution's National Museum of American History in Washington, D.C. The slippers remain in evidence with the FBI. Visit our website and let us know who you think is to blame at www.thealarmistpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram at The Alarmist Podcast and on Twitter at Alarmist The. You can also send us your thoughts via email to thealarmistpodcast at gmail.com. Today's episode was produced and engineered by Clayton Early with fact-checking by Chris Smith and editing by Molly Hockey. Thank you to our associate producer and researcher, Alex Paul. 
The Alarmist is executive produced by Rebecca Delgado-Smith and the Erios Network. Tune in next week. We'll be discussing the Penn State scandal. Erios. Powered by ACAST. 